You know, I've recorded hundreds of podcasts, hundreds. Um, I'm not sure if including interviews, I'm over a thousand yet or not, but it's entirely plausible. And I still get a little nervous every single time right before I hit record. There's something, um, I don't know, something tough about a microphone. It's so non-responsive compared to talking to another person. Hey, everybody, uh, Mike McCarg here. Uh, the internet calls me Science Mike. If it's your first time listening to this program, this is not the normal format. We've usually got a theme song and a whole shtick. Uh, but this week, I just I just wanted to talk with everybody. Uh, I'm back in a busy season of travel. So falls for me, uh, excuse me, the season of fall is for me a time where I'm on the road a lot and, uh, I, you know, today's my first day home in, in about a week, uh, and it gets hard to to do the whole normal shtick uh, with the with the polls and the questions and the research. So I just I thought this week we'd just talk, just to 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 stay together, if you will. And this may be something I need to do a little bit throughout uh, September and October and even November. In order to keep the show coming out regularly, um, and Greg's going to be super mad at me because he made me swear I wouldn't do any more episodes where I released it without him getting a chance to edit it, but I'm recording this this morning and going to release it right after it's done, so Greg, I apologize <laughs> for going rogue and releasing a podcast without you getting to make me sound smarter than I am. Um, but gosh, there's just so there's so much going on. Uh, so I've got a lot of travel coming up, and I'll tell you about some of those dates in a second because I'd love to see you. Uh, I'm in the final stages of working on my second book, so wow. <laughs> uh, most intense travel season coinciding with uh, the last push to get manuscript uh, for book two out the door. And I am feeling the stress, y'all. I mean, I really am. And uh, there's a lot else of other things going on in my life too. So, um, well, let's talk first about why I'm so busy traveling. <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of events coming up. First of all, if you've uh, heard, I've, I do this thing on the side called Making Your Mark. It's where I lead coaching programs for people who want to do the kind of work that I do, meaning public work specifically public work designed to create an impact as opposed to make you famous. Uh, I am not famous, but I do make an impact on the world. And if that's something you're interested in, I want to help you. So September the 25th at 5 p.m. doing a free, absolutely free webinar called Making Your Mark. And uh, you can go to MikeMcCarg.com or AskScienceMike.com, click on the events button, and then click sign up and you'll get the details on how to be there. Uh, we're just wrapping up today, actually, our first 10-week Making Your Mark group coaching course, and it was amazing. I'm really looking forward to you all encountering some of the work uh, that people are creating as part of that class. Uh, really substantive stuff, really amazing things, covering the gamut from spirituality to science to social justice which was not on purpose, but I'm awfully excited about. <laughs> so that's September 25th. October 5th and 6th 
is the liturgist gathering in London, but here's an insider tip, everyone. This hasn't been announced yet. But in the next couple of hours, the liturgistgathering.com is going to get updated with some additional cities. And we'll start announcing that on, on the Liturgist podcast and all our other channels. But if you want to be among the very first people to get your hands on tickets to the Liturgist Gathering Minneapolis, the Liturgist Gathering Portland, or the Liturgist Gathering Nashville, uh, those will be on the website today. Uh, as I understand it, maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding is those all uh, get uploaded today. So you definitely want to take a trip to theliturgistgathering.com, get more information about all those cities. Of course, we've got our men's retreat called Ken by the Liturgist on October 12th through 14th. It is completely sold out, but we do have people canceling periodically. So if you kind of go back there and keep Checking in, there may be more tickets available for that at any point. If not, we will certainly announce more of those retreats in the future. October 17th uh, in Placentia, California. Placentia, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Going to do an Ask Science Mike live. I'm really excited about that. Tickets are available right now. Uh, October 26th and 27th, I'm going to be at Evolving Faith. That's that mega progressive Christian conference put on by Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Bessie. So it's sold out too, but I think people are scalping tickets. (laughs) And then I'm doing a conference on Centering Prayer November 3rd and 4th. uh, And you can get information on that. It's in Greeley, Colorado. And all those are on my events page. Uh, So that's why I'm so busy. Uh, And by the way, a little less than half of my events are open to the public. So if you're like, well, that doesn't sound like that much, that's a little less than half of the the road trips I'm taking this fall. Uh, so that's why I get so stressed out. We're going to talk about other reasons I get so stressed out now. I don't know if you just heard that. We have a flock of parrots that lives in my neighborhood and in this region. In the morning, they fly through and they, they sing. Um, so if you heard that, that's available at no additional charge. Uh, to you this morning. Uh, I'm trying to figure out Instagram. You know, Facebook stresses me out so much. Twitter stresses me out so much. And I think that's necessary. I don't want to withdraw from those communities completely. Uh, But boy, they upset me. Um, And I found that Instagram does not. It's just pictures. Um, And I like pictures. (laughs) I'm a terrible photographer. Uh, but I like messing around with Instagram. Uh, and I think I'm good at Instagram until I see like my friend Caroline Lee. Uh, her Instagram has all these graphics and polls and just crazy stuff that I don't understand. And then my daughter Madison, her Instagram likewise befuddles me. So since... <laughs> Over 10,000 people follow my crappy Instagram. I try to take it more seriously to not waste your time. And I try to figure out how this stuff works. And so there's this thing on Instagram where you can post a thing where people can ask you questions, which, you know, I love to answer questions. Uh, But I didn't know how it worked, so I created an Instagram story while I was in San Francisco this weekend. And said, if you've got questions, go ahead and ask them, just so I can figure out how this works. I didn't intend 
to answer any questions, but there were just some really funny questions. I like I like being a little silly, a little frivolous on Instagram. And so I enjoyed like how silly all the questions were. And then they got serious. <laughs> and one question came up four times that I wanted to answer today. Um, and that question was, how can I be confident or how can I have self-confidence? And that really spoke to me. Uh, that spoke to me a lot because I'm a person who has always struggled with self-confidence and self-esteem. And I'm not alone, depending on what survey data I look at. Uh, apparently between 65 and 85% of people struggle with low self-esteem or self-confidence. And just to note, self-esteem and self-confidence are subtly different things. Self-esteem is your feeling of your identity and who you are. Self-confidence is your feeling and assessment of your capabilities, the things that you can do. Those are slightly different. I suppose you could have healthy self-esteem and low self-confidence. Or you could have, I think, as is the case with me, a higher self-confidence than you have self-esteem. Either way, I wanted to go into that question because I know so much about it from my own life. I have had to learn how to have self-confidence in order to be a science Mike. I am so reticent to have and share opinions or think that my advice is worthwhile, and yet for a living, people ask me questions and they ask me for advice that I don't think I'm qualified to give, and if I just wallow in a lack of self-confidence, then I can't do the work that I do that people tell me helps them. So the first thing I'd like to say is that if you struggle with self-confidence, it's not just you who is impacted. There's all kinds of unthoughtful people who don't struggle with self-confidence um, and, and in doing so really shape the world in some uncharitable, unthoughtful ways. Also, some people who look like they're very confident and have a lot of bravado are actually masking low self-confidence. People who are, have genuine self-confidence can be uh, quietly self-assured in many cases, according to the research I read. But a few tips I have for becoming more self-confident. Uh, of course, you know these come from me. They are based on research. The first one I want to tell you is because I like it the least. And that is to take care of your physical body, uh, being physically active, getting enough sleep, eating a good diet. Uh, all of these things have been shown uh, in research to boost self-confidence. And I will say that one of the greatest growths in self-confidence I've ever had in my life was becoming a runner. I started running. I ran a 5K. I ran several 5Ks, a 10K half marathon, another half marathon, a couple 10-mile races, and then a full marathon. And boy, did that boost my self-confidence. Um, I started eating better, and uh, the, the rigors of a training schedule forced me to get enough sleep. So taking care of your body is a great way to boost self-confidence. It just stinks because you get all sweaty and you have to make time in your schedule 
for physical activity. For some of us, that comes very easy. For others of us, that is very difficult. Another thing that is strangely helpful is to embrace self-doubt. Instead of pretending you don't have doubts, to leave space for them and grace for yourself in having doubts about yourself and your abilities. Um, Some studies have shown that athletes that uh, allow room for self-doubt perform better than uh, athletes who have 100% self-confidence. So something about understanding that you could fail, and that's just part of being human, actually helps you be more confident and have higher performance overall, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, having compassion towards yourself boosts self-confidence. And we, most people have a tendency to speak to themselves very harshly. You know, I, I have a tendency when I mess up to say, oh, I'm an idiot, which is a terrible thing. I would never call another person an idiot, but I'm so quick to call myself an idiot. Um, and just giving yourself a little grace, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Just that as a mantra in your mind can help. Um, one way you can help frame this shift, according to research, is to shift from the first person to the second person in your inner monologue. We have found that when people use I in their thoughts, they tend to be more critical than when they say you. So I messed up. I'm so stupid. I'm a failure. Well, that's going to crater self-confidence. You did the best you could. Next time, you'll do better. You can do this because we have so much experience encouraging other people. Addressing ourselves as you makes it easier to avoid really uncompassionate, critical lines of thought. So that's a little trick you can use. Shift from I to you when speaking to yourself. Uh, Another thing for, you know, good self-confidence is don't compare yourself to other people. That's really shown consistently in the data uh, that when people compare themselves to others and they experience envy, they feel worse and worse and worse about themselves. And I, I will say I'm quite good at this. I very rarely compare myself to others. The only place I get stuck is when I read books from someone who can write really well. And I go, ah, oh, I wish I could write like that. But I'm even working on that because I write like me and that's the only person that I can write like. And then another tip, uh, approach everything like play or an experiment. Lower the stakes. Just tell yourself that you're trying an experiment to see what happens when you face something that you're afraid to do, whether that's giving a a presentation at work, uh, whether that's a conversation that you're not looking forward to, uh, a negotiation at the office, whatever it is that you have anxiety about. uh, Don't mess with the negative self-talk. You know, don't work yourself into a pit of despair. Uh, Simply focus on an experiment. Say, I'm just going to try this and see what happens. In me taking that approach, I'll just try this and see what happens. Has led to this podcast, has led to my books, 
has led to everything that I do. Um, I knew full well that most people who try to do what I'm doing now fail. And I went in with an openness to failure, enjoying the experience and seeing what I could learn from it. And that little shift helped me become who I am. That's why you call me Science Mike. Uh, and I do this instead of fixing computers or creating ad campaigns. This, this was all an experiment. Let's just see where it goes. But it's not its not that easy, is it? It's not that easy. I just told you, I don't know, four or five or six different ideas on self-confidence. And I bet you don't magically feel more confident. And I bet even if you put those things into practice, you would not immediately feel more confident. So the biggest thing I want to tell you, and a little this is a little bit coming from my next book, and I've tried to keep everything from book two under wraps, but I'll give you this tiny, tiny little teaser. Uh, and basically there is no secret to self-transformation or growth. There is no thing you do that changes you. There is no approach that can get you out of where you're stuck and towards where you want to go. But people change. I've changed. The particular tactic you use for emotional growth, for personal transformation, is much less important than how you deal with the failure of that approach. So I have much more confidence today than I had when I was in middle school or even 10 years ago. But I I don't always. I told you I've been traveling, and I have been traveling. And travel is difficult for me. It really is. I love it. I love seeing you all. I love seeing new places. But I'm learning at this point in my life as a person with uh, who's recovered from a traumatic brain injury, who has been diagnosed as autistic, that every deviation from my normal routine costs me something. If I eat something different for breakfast, or someone asks me a question while I'm brushing my teeth, there's a small cost to my emotional resilience. There's a cost to my mental clarity. It's a very small cost, but there's a cost. And the more things change in my routine, the bigger the cost. So when I travel, it's a it's a big cost indeed. Uh, my energy levels get very, very low. The amount of mental clarity I have is dramatically diminished. That's why even though I often have great dreams of producing the podcast while traveling, I often find myself so overwhelmed and in such a state of shutdown uh, that I can't even really figure out how to operate my computer in the hotel room in order to start recording. So for those of you who've wondered why uh, sometimes the show isn't consistent in its release schedule, that's why um, when I travel, I kind of halfway shut down. And recently I've had some some stress in my friendship relationships while traveling. And 
it pushed me over the edge. So I was in San Francisco for a friend of mine's wedding, which was lovely and I enjoyed. The next day, William Matthews, co-host of the Liturgist Podcast, was in San Francisco and invited me down to Fisherman's Wharf with a friend of his. Well, other than Tallahassee, I've been to San Francisco more than any city in America. I know San Francisco really well. In fact, along major routes, I have all the public transit options memorized. I don't even need to look at a map. And so I knew that from where I was, the easiest way to get to the Fisherman's Wharf was to jump on something called the F-Line, which is a bunch of historic old streetcars. Kind of touristy, but it was an easy way to get there. Uh, But it was super crowded. So I noticed for capacity reasons, they'd added a good old-fashioned bus to the F-Line. And since the F-Line mainly addresses tourists, that bus was empty. So I got excited. I hopped on an empty bus and uh, started to head down to the Fisherman's Wharf. Well, I got down to the water, which is about Pier 2 or 3, which is quite a long way from Pier 39. <laughs> and uh, and the F-Line broke down. These old historic cars, they do that a lot. So we were all just sitting there. Five minutes, ten minutes, became twenty minutes. And I realized, I can't just sit on this, this bus line. So I got off because there's lots of transit options in San Francisco. I wanted to see if I could rent one of the little bicycles uh, but people kept standing by the bicycles. They wouldn't. They weren't riding them, but they had their stuff in them. They were kind of claiming them, waiting to ride. So I went to another bicycle option and saw that these uh, didn't have any docks near the Fisherman's Wharf, so I'd have no place to return the bicycle. So I decided I would use Lyft, which I, I try to, because I care about carbon footprint, I use transit options as much as possible and minimize the amount of ride sharing I do and my Lyft app wouldn't work. Now, this seems minor. This is a very everyday occurrence. I'm in a very familiar city. Uh, but the way I work, the way I function in the world, is to always have a plan, to have a backup plan for the plan, to have a backup plan for the back. I mean, to an insane degree. And here I was, and guess what? All of my backup plans failed. And I didn't have a predetermined course of action. The only thing I thought I could do was walk the rest of the way to Pier 39, uh, but I have very fair skin and I knew that would get me a nasty sunburn. So I felt this pull between all my plans have failed, I should return to my hotel to recuperate and I want to go see William. So as, as you've learned, if you listen to the program, I've recently been diagnosed with autism, which is actually helpful for me. It helps me understand why when I get overwhelmed, I get this kind of brain fog and this lethargy. Uh, but when I get put, I call that a shutdown. Many uh, autistic people call that a shutdown. When I get pushed past shutdown, that's when I hit something uh, that I call a meltdown. And a meltdown is where I go from being catatonic to very, very upset in a way that It's not even that I'm feeling emotions. It's almost like I am possessed. Some other entity 
takes control of my body and I watch, usually in horror, as this entity does whatever I'm going to do. If that scream, I scream. If it shake, I shake. Maybe I'll slap my face. Maybe I'll pull my hair. Those events have been relatively rare for me as an adult. But honestly, the uh, the stress of being a public figure and leaving my familiar Tallahassee, those events have been a little more common for me this last year. Not a lot more, but enough that it's something I note. And standing on a sidewalk on the water in San Francisco, I had a meltdown. I started sobbing really loudly, shaking. Um, and we all have emotional breakdowns. We all do. This felt like not a very big thing to get that upset about. But that's what always happens to me. When all the plans fail, um, I don't know what to do. And so at this point, I'm not walking anymore, just standing in one spot, sobbing, kind of swaying foot to foot and shaking. And uh, this homeless woman had been screaming at people who walked by, not out of animosity, obviously out of a uh, a mental health concern. She wasn't screaming coherently necessarily. And I was about, I don't know, 20 feet from her when I lost it. And she turned her head and saw me and stopped mid-scream and her face kind of turned into a look of confusion and then softened. And she said, uh, you okay, hon? And I didn't reply because I, I couldn't reply. And so this woman kind of gets down off the raised half wall she was on and walks over to me and put her arms around me. And she said, uh, it's okay. I understand. It's okay. I understand. And if you follow my work, you know that's basically my whole job is to say that to people. <laughs> so here's this person utterly rejected by our society who saw me in need and through her own difficulties reached out to offer comfort and empathy and understanding. And I went into one heck of a shame spiral, y'all. I mean, really, 
Um, I made it back to my hotel, but I didn't know what I thought about me at that point. Any self-confidence that I have built since being a bullied little kid, it was gone. And I thought, who does this? Who can't handle staying in a nice hotel in a beautiful American city? Honestly, what is wrong with me? Why am I so weak? Why am I so worthless? Why am I such a baby? And I sat in my hotel room in the dark, in the quiet, and I cried. And then I offered myself some grace. I said, Mike, you have a brain injury. You know travel is difficult for you. You feel a lot of demands right now. You feel like you should be having releasing an Ask Science Mike episode. You should be recording that today. You've got a book that you're working on. You're, you're, you're anxious about travel that's coming up. And you're tired. It's okay. It doesn't matter which tips I use to boost my self-confidence from the first part of this show. If I only do it once, or I only do it when I'm in a clear state of mind, the most important thing to be a confident person is in those times where we really fail or where we really come apart emotionally, that at that moment, we have some strategy. We have some mechanism to offer ourselves grace, acceptance, and to begin a process of healing and recovery. And this morning, I'm so happy that I had a meltdown on a sidewalk in downtown San Francisco because I bet someone listening judges themselves just as harshly as I do for something even smaller. And so that's what I want you to take from this episode is the next time you feel like you're a failure, the next time you feel weak, The next time you feel like you can't take it, I want you to think of me, a person that you respect and admire, sobbing in San Francisco on a sidewalk, being held by a homeless woman, and know that you are not alone. And not only that, I believe the people who can make the biggest difference have the biggest sensitivities. That the very thing that makes you someone who is kind and empathetic means you're also someone for whom the world makes you weary. Don't be ashamed 
of your sensitivity. Understand that it is a beautiful part of who you are and something that not only makes you better, but makes the whole world better. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you next week.